not only are we going to New Hampshire, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. Hey, be checking out LinkedIn also where we're, we're posting these segments um, every week and we're getting quite a quite a bit of people checking it out over there i'm getting like a a thousand people uh, looking at some of these things so that's really really great uh, and a very engaged audience and uh, as they should be because we're providing very good info information here and joined by uh, alan hager as our guest co-host and our uh, contributor uh extraordinaire backed by popular demand Stuart sloan and president of say consulting our insurance industry authority uh Stuart, how are you doing again Great. 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 Good to have you here. Uh, we wanted to, uh, fi- we're trying to figure out exactly how many people are on healthcare.gov. So that's the question I'm going to pose to you guys. But before that, I wanted to uh, share a fact with the audience that uh, eight in 10 of those individuals who, per- who selected a uh, 2015 marketplace plan through healthcare.gov qualified for an average advanced premium tax credit of around $263 per month. So um, almost everybody who goes there gets a subsidy, but how many people are on healthcare.gov? 10 million, something like that, do you know? The last the last number was 11.7 million. Okay. So literally about 80, 80% of that uh, those people, I guess not all of them are some of not all of them are going to be on uh, federal, you know, healthcare.gov. They might be right. seven, in their own state, but seven point five of them are on on the federal. The rest of them are on the state-based or partnership exchanges. Okay, so lots of folks could <laughs> could really be be left out in the cold if this thing uh, goes down. Uh, which is why I, I don't think that they're they're going to overturn it. But what's what's your prediction? Um, don't know. You don't know. Really don't know. It's uh, you know just as we sat waiting for the original decision. Uh, in June of 2012, here we are again. But this is a little bit more ticklish, and I guess the the, the answer to the question is, uh, what are the three possibilities? How could the Supreme Court, uh, you know, answer? What are the three possible ways to uh, to solve this thing? Um, uh, one, they can they can uh, use the you know the literal definition that that uh, Obamacare said. Specifically, the the state exchanges only. The uh, state exchanges only. Uh, and they they can make an interpretation of this, uh, you know, which would be uh, the two other segments. One is the plain text. In other words, exactly what it says it is. The lawyers claim that uh, that the law has only one meaning, uh, and that's it established by the state. The second possibility is to defer to the government. Uh, the High Court uh, has often in the past decided that a complex regulatory law can be read in more than one way. Um, the third one uh, is is states' rights. Mm-hmm. You leave it up to the states uh, to say it's it's you know not their jurisdiction and let the states uh, sort it out. 
Right, right. And some of them have already started to take some steps. I believe Pennsylvania uh, yeah. last week and, and a few others uh, have already come up with a, a plan B, if you will, uh, should, yeah. should that happen. Sean, you just, the two of you just brought up uh, an interesting question, and I think you know if we can just explore that for just a few minutes, sure. which is what's happening in the insurance industry? Uh, you started to mention you know, Aetna and United and, um, and some of the other carriers that are in uh, in negotiation stages, this is the first phase of consolidation. So I guess you have to ask the question, the public has to ask the question, why is this happening? And will it continue? The answer is yes. And the thing that's pushing them this direction is the benefits industry is the only industry in which the government has limited what you know profits uh, in a, you know a company can have. Yeah. So the minimum loss ratio limits what carriers can have as profit uh, in terms of the individual marketplace and the small group marketplace. Mm -hmm. And remember, that definition changes uh, in 2016. So right now, it's, it's under 50 lives. And in January, the small group marketplace goes up to 99 lives. So it really carves a, you know, a large swath in the marketplace. These carriers that we've just mentioned Take a look at their bottom line. They know, you know, what their profit has been or lack thereof in terms of being a participant in Obamacare, and some of them, you know, don't see any 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 profit moving forward. Key example is Assurant. Assurant has made the decision to pull out of the benefits marketplace and the employee benefits marketplace. So you have removals from the marketplace as well as consolidation all of which is going to continue regardless of King versus Burwell. Yes, exactly. I mean, the big one, the bigger are going to be getting bigger, aren't they? Yes. So that's going to mean less choice in the end? Less choice. It's going to be uh, means that the choices that are left are going to be more expensive. You're going to see um, uh, the more expensive uh, you know, uh, plans uh, being dropped off from Obamacare. So you only have the basic two two plans, bronze and silver being the predominant plans. You're saying gold's going to go away, you think? Gold may go away. Platinum will definitely go away. Why? Too expensive. For people or for the, the carrier? Or both? both. Wow. Because I'm on be a gold a plan right now, That would example. be a consequence of King versus Burwell. The gold plans go away? Hmm. No, the platinum would go away. Oh, okay. Are there anybody that offers platinum down in Florida? Yes. Okay. The Blues. I, the Blues do. Okay, I think there was just one. It was a co-opportunity health co-op, but they've gone down. Other co-ops that were supposed to be, you know, additional competition, are they starting to go down as well, have you yeah. found? Yeah, there are, uh, many of them have either gone down uh, or they're in the red. Uh, that was an area, again, if the government would take precedent of what the state – Normally, the states are laboratories for all of these uh, these new techniques that are used in the benefits marketplace. That with Obamacare, that didn't happen. You had a force-fed, you know, law that was passed uh, in in one year uh, after he took office, uh, not allowing for a lot of back and forth between Democrats and Republicans. It was shoved down uh, the the participants' throat. 
key example of that was Nancy Pelosi's, well, we have to pass it to figure out what's in it. Well, the net consequences of that, obviously now we're facing King versus Burwell. Right. Like I said, too, like if they would have just, uh, I, I thought it'd be funny if the Supreme Court sends the ACA back to Congress with a bunch of red ink all over it and a grade. You know, I'd put D plus because they, it's clearly that it was just sloppily written. Uh, and that's why we have King versus Burwell. If they would have even just proofread it, they might Correct. have uh, <laughs> figured that out. But uh, again, what do you expect? And for the record, the only bipartisan vote on the ACA was a no vote in Congress. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have a question, and it has to do with Medicaid Advantage and Humana, because Humana is the largest Medicaid Advantage Medicare. or Medicare Advantage uh, insurance company in the country by you know roughly a couple times the size of all the others. And there's discussions about them being taken over uh, by Anthem and United Health and multiple other groups. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that sure. would impact premiums? Well, I, I don't see so much about uh, the concern about the takeover, as I'm sure some people are concerned about that. What I see is the pressure being brought by, uh, by Obamacare. Uh, you're going to see the funding for uh, Medicare Advantage area, in other words, the extra goodies that you find in there, those extra dollars are going to go away by 2018. Right. That's how they paid and, for and it. Right, and right, the other thing I want to share with you is that right now, the spread in the PPO marketplace, the spread of discounting is 3% or less. Uh, I don't care you know, which PPO network that you use as an example of this. And that spread is going to go away by between 2018 and 2020, just about the time that we're all concerned about the Cadillac tax. And we so see- as, as premium costs are going up, the discounting of those PPO plans are disappearing. So do you think that the insurance providers are going to be at some point considered too big to fail if the insurance market collapses? No, I don't see that. Uh, you know, Metropolitan Life is fighting that right now in court. But what I do see is the Medicare Advantage aspect is going to go away. I think you're going to have uh, just just regular Medicare as an option for seniors. And that's what the Democrats want all along. They hate Medicare Advantage. Or at least well, they did when I, I worked they, out there. They weren't very. They weren't very enamored. These are the same people that weren't very enamored with uh, health savings accounts. When both of those things were passed together, you know, in 2003. So it's not surprising, Sean. Right. Well, and they still don't like flexible spending accounts anyway, so. That's true. On, on, on this Cadillac tax, I think uh, that's starting to really pe- catch some people's attention because I saw a chart. One of the carriers put out a, a graph just basically using medical trend and, and factoring it in, and it looks like around 2021. Um, nearly every plan could potentially be, depending on the situation, of course, um, subject to this tax. Because is it true that they're considering uh, HRAs and other uh, other benefits like that in the Cadillac tax calculation? You know, that's an interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up. The con- Congressional Budget Office figures that, that approximately 75% of groups that are out there right now today, the 2015 and 16 uh, years, will gradually move into the Cadillac tax area. Obamacare says unless you make small changes, you know, less than less than 15%, uh, you know, you're you're going to be subject to that tax. 
there's no escaping it. So you know, in the in the in the statutory marketplace, everybody will be almost forced into that arena. The only saving grace will be uh, in the self-funded and captive marketplaces. You know, where you have an opportunity by plan design to make changes. Let's, but uh, to answer your question, Sean, yes, okay. HSAs and HRAs are included in that Cadillac tax uh, computation. A total game changer. Hey, do you mind staying for one more? we got a short little segment, but I wanted to uh, talk about, you mentioned captives and other things uh, as possible solutions. Uh, do you, you care about we could talk about that a little bit? Sure. All right, sounds good. Uh, with Stuart Sloan and Alan Hager, I am Sean McGuire. You're listening to America's Healthcare Challenge online at healthreformexplained.com and back right after this.